Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Carol Francis calling from Los Angeles. Yes, I am calling into the switchboard as you can as well. And I would love it if you would join me this morning at 626-414-3510. 626-414-3510. We are discussing predominantly today the Aurora Massacre. And then we're, the second segment is going to be about weight loss warnings. And the third is going to be about soldiers reuniting with families. And um, I don't think there's a, a single radio per show is not dealing with the Aurora massacres. I, as a clinical psychologist, marriage, family, child therapist, have to be extremely careful about making any statements that are grand and glorious about anyone because the truth is, is that we do not know what happened and we can listen all we want to what the victims have experienced um, there as well as what we see with James Holmes, of course, the very first, um, portion of the court pros- process, the proceedings have begun. It's and actually, this was just to establish all the organizational aspects of running a case like this, which is evidently going to take months, years to come to a conclusion. That's going to be very, very hard for the people who have suffered, and for those of us looking on, uh, a little bit scared that it's going to become drama. I heard one person today say something on the news and I won't reveal which channel or network it is, something that really did smack the experience of, oh, now we've got our next drama for the news. And you know that's what they experience because that's their business. That's what the media business is. I'm going to try very hard to not let my show become one of that media business process and talk about the Aurora Massacre from a number of different perspectives. And please call in. We'd love to hear your perspective as well. This is also an opportunity for us to share our own traumatic responses to it. So one of the traumatic responses to a massacre like this is a realization that you really don't know anybody. You don't know anybody. You don't know what anybody can snap, including yourself, and you don't know anybody in terms of what they're doing in the privacy of their home or their mind or of their research of what or their intentions are. It is. It strikes me as odd that there weren't a lot more uh, checks in place for finding that he had bought four guns of various natures, a serious uh, ammunition orders that clearly came to his household, and we could and we could go on a very long list of why weren't there indicators. If we're very keen on looking for indicators for terrorists, what happens when we're terrorized by someone who loses it or decides to go on a rampage? So that's one thing: is what happened to the checks and balances within our system, our protective system. Not to blame the system, but what's happening? What are we not doing? And I'm going to use the word we because as soon as we say they, we lose our own sense of responsibility, our own activistic attitude, and instead we shift into blame. Which brings me to the second point. You know, what what causes an individual to flip? Lots of sorts of things do. So in my uh, 32 years of experience, I have worked with the criminally insane, as they're called. I have worked in psychiatric hospitals with individuals who have done attempted murder um, and and what I have 
experience is that uh, when it comes to the mental disorders that are associated to that, there are a lot of things that cause a person to snap. One, of course, is the biochemical aspect of what's going on. Interesting that James Holm, who is held as a suspect behind what has occurred, plenty of witnesses, I think that that's probably a given, but the, of course, the uh, DA didn't say that it was necessarily a given. Um, so, and that's, of course, what they should be saying. So I'm not going to be judge and jury here, but I am going to suggest that if James Holm is indeed the accurate suspect in the situation, that he had a lot of background in neuroscience, I would suggest that he has a tremendous amount of understanding about the biochemistry of the brain is, and much more than than most individuals. And so as a consequence, was he actively playing with his own biochemistry? Because that can be done with lack of sleep, psychiatric medications, um, street drugs, as, and we have no idea what were the processes going on that. I did hear one report say that the mother had been interviewed by the police and she had said, you've got the right person. Now, I heard that on one of the news stations, so I'm sure there are many people who have heard that. However, I don't know if it's true or not. So to the degree that that's a truth, it may be that mom actually did see things, did experience threat, did hear worrisome sorts of ideas, and perhaps hoped that they were only the delusions or the expressions of anger. But on the other hand, um, when does it become the responsibility of a mom to contact the authorities and say, look, I'm really worried about the safety of other people, even if it means that you have to look into what's going on for my son. Another thing that occurs in my mind, again, not to place any blame, even I want to go retro. I'm not placing any blame on mom by saying that because every single mother knows that when they hear their child say, I hate you, I'm going to kill you, they become startled that that would actually mean that they're dealing with a, a murderer on their hands. And what do they do? And I have mothers come to me and fathers come to me when they hear their children say things like that and say, what do I do with this incredibly intense expression of anger? And it's variable. It's so different. Sometimes it's just a child imitating a cartoon show, sad to say. Sometimes it's a child imitating an adult. Sometimes it's just a child expressing emotion. Sometimes it's a child actually trying to provoke the parents to get all wrapped up into something, you know, get attention. Um, other times it's unconscious. Other times it's actually intended. I do remember when we were talking a long time ago, the dialogue among psychologists about uh, criminally insane and those that had um, done progressive um, multiple murders, that there usually is an indication that they were saying things like, are they brutal to animals growing up? Did they set a lot of fires when they're young? Did they do a lot of bullying? And all of those variables do pop up into people's profiles, but they're not a necessary thing because there are plenty of people that do that when they're young, all of those things when they're young, and they grow to become compassionate, enlightened individuals. So what are the triggers? We're not going to absolutely know. I do hope that they have taken plenty of blood tests for James Holmes to be able to determine what the presence of different drugs uh, would have been. Um, someone did say that he was seen in the bar a few days prior and carrying out a normal conversation about sports activities um, and seemed very pleasant and social and normal. Was he in a bar? I mean, does that indicate with normal socialization of drinking or does that indicate disinhibition of alcohol, which we all know does occur. So what this catapult us all into is a series of wonderments. What causes this? What stimulates this? 
Why do we ask what causes sitting like this? Because we want to know. We want to be able to see the signs for ourselves so that we can avoid those things occurring in the future. It gives us a sense of power to try to find a cause. If you become attached to a blame or to a cause or to an explanation and become really attached to it, like, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it, then chances are it's because you're kind of anxious about realizing that this could happen to any of us at any time, both to break if we're just pushed to the brink or if we're just taking the wrong intoxicating uh, chemicals that compound us, we're not sleeping enough and we go into kind of a schizophrenic loop. I mean, not sleeping really, not sleeping at all for a very extended long time, or I'm not talking about just bad sleeping, but there are so many things that can occur, including have you been a victim of a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional abuse as a young child, a very, very vulnerable young child. Have you been exposed to a tremendous amount of unjustified anger and even justified anger. I mean, we could go down a really long list. Were you bullied? Were you ostracized? Were you racially uh, treated with hate crimes? Did you develop a hate and revenge so deep? Or, and here's the thing we all need to consider, have you adopted the fantasy that you see on the screen the screen of your computer, your television, and the movies, to such a degree that you begin to identify with the characters far too much. And then do you select the characters that you identify with in a way that makes you a better person as opposed to a mass murderer? So that's all possibilities. And we live in the angst of not quite knowing, not quite knowing who around us might flip or what would make any of us flip. And that gives us a sense of kind of a paranoia, a kind of socialized paranoia. Maybe some of you didn't go to the theaters this weekend. Some of you pulled away from neighbors that you don't know all that well. Some of you isolated yourself even more. Some of you warned your kids that are going to go to colleges and going to be exposed to lots of different personalities where there are also massacres that are, we have to remember Virginia Tech. We have to remember what happened on high school campuses. Cal State Fullerton, and we could go down a huge long list. These things happen everywhere and often. And yet it is our social responsibility, perhaps, to extend caution, courtesy, compassion, wonderment, and not jump quick to our own judgmental conclusions that make us unable to really appreciate what the lessons are that we need to learn. And perhaps the lessons that we need to learn in this are still to unfold. Now, those of you that saw on CNN or other news channels uh, the actual first court uh, processes or proceedings, James Holm looked like he was drifting in and out of being aware, alert, much more out of awareness than present. Is it possible that he could be scamming the cameras? Yes, absolutely. Is it possible for someone that intelligent to be able to put on the act of not being quite there and not present? Yes, absolutely. Is it possible that he is being sedated because of the activities they said that he was doing while in prison, which is with spitting and yelling and screaming and doing crazy sorts of things? Did they have to sedate him? It's a possibility. No one's revealing that, but yes, that's a possibility. You certainly do sedate and you do restrain uh, in psychiatric hospitals when those sorts of things are present and when that individual has that much uh, murderous rage inside of them. So that certainly is a possibility that that's what we were seeing. Is it a possibility that this is the biochemistry of his brain and therefore we saw authentically the way he's phasing inside of reality? 
possibility. However, we have to realize that all that contemplation went into preparing his apartment, buying those guns over a course of weeks, ordering that ammunition over a course of weeks. That is probably not someone who's just suddenly flipped, but someone who's progressively gone through the process, very meditated, at least as it's being portrayed on the media. So, warnings. Don't bully. Don't extend racial hatred statements with people. Uh, don't hate someone or treat them with disrespect or lack of compassion because you never know if that is going to be the catalyst that either provokes them into further rage and anger um, or if perhaps your kindness, that doesn't mean you embrace everybody you meet, but your kindness may actually forestall them from going or flipping into those crucial moments. Does he perhaps wish that he hadn't done it and that now he went too far? We don't know. So what can you do in your circle to make sure that you don't contribute to this? Well, you stay safe, you stay alert, and you don't associate with individuals that seem to have this murderous rage. So let's talk a little bit about domestic violence. Uh, Women are very inclined to get involved with a man under the hopes that they will be able to rescue the man or under the belief that they deserve the, the rash, harsh treatment that the man issues, issues out ever so often. Or the erraticness of abusiveness is that the cycle is abuse followed by a, a moment of pause, being crushed, and then a lot of remorse on the part of the abuse. And then the seduction, the, the pleading for the individual to come back to be close and intimate. And as soon as that person comes back, that person's actually pretty vulnerable to the cycle uh, occurring again. Abuse occurs that way with children and occurs that way with spouses. So if you are in that abusive cycle, you need to get yourself out safely and soundly, not rashly, but with a plan, a careful plan so that you can exit um, with everything intact as much as you can. Moving forward, being better enlightened. A lot of individuals do get married and find that they have married an abusive individual. Um, without ever having that indication being present prior to the marriage because something flips, changes, or there is just a security about now you're married, you're mine, I can treat you the way you want to. So what we see openly with this Aurora massacre can occur much more subtly in people's lives. So what can you do to make sure that, number one, you're not exposed to people who are abusive and you can be graciously and quickly, swiftly away from them and their circumstances. Do not get entangled and do not get involved. It's just not worth your situation. Secondly, don't provoke. Avoid racial hatred statements. Avoid being rude or unkind. Avoid flipping someone off while you're driving with rage. You never know who has a gun in the front seat. You don't know who's going to follow you. You don't know who's going to get your license. Avoid doing things that are provocative and antagonistic because you might actually make someone think that they have the right to be revengeful. Um, Act with respect toward people's rights and where they are in the situation. Don't be narcissistically, self-centeredly taking over someone else's space so as to create rage. In other words, don't provoke rage yourself by being lacking in compassion or disregard. It's a good thing. But now that goes with people in the theater. None of them did anything that we know at all to do, to deserve any of this. They went there to enjoy and be entertained. And I love those type of movies. They're so much fun to get caught up in. 
but I'm not identifying with the criminal. Uh, there are some people who are much more attracted to the criminal-mindedness and the power, the apparent appeal, the apparent lore, and Hollywood has an awesome way of making those criminals look so attractive in lots of different ways. So be aware when you go to situations like that, it is pulling for you to be very emotionally involved in the characters and you really don't know how anybody around you is going to be pulled into those characteristics as well. We do know research clearly indicates that when people are exposed to a great deal of violence, whether it is through sports, that includes football, beloved football, I love it, but it includes sports, it includes boxing, it includes anything associated to aggression like that, it, it relates to movies and it relates to TVs and it relates to gaming. But there is absolutely a trigger in the brain biochemically. You can see the way it comes across in the PET scans that an individual will become much more aggressive and hostile and activated in a hostile sort of way when they have a certain amount of exposure to that type of stimuli, visual, uh, visual auditory, everything. That's why you go to a movie, because for that 90 to 120 minutes, you are transposed into feeling and being right there in that apparent reality. And then you walk out the theater and that reality is kind of residually with you. And if you don't have a really good boundary between the reality on the screen and the reality of, of, of when you're walking back into your normal life, then, then you're going to carry some things with you. And if you've seen inspirational movies, you'll carry them with you and you'll be grown and groomed in a way that's going to make you a better person. But if you're seeing something that's full of violence, note, you're going to be more aggressive and more violent afterward. It's just a given. It's the way our brains are wired. So be aware. Uh, enjoy, but enjoy safely. And enjoy safely with the right type of people around you. But still, none of the people in that theater did anything to provoke this guy because he obviously planned it for a very long time and had all sorts of other things going on. He had even planned for the police to come to the apartment and trigger that and be killed, massively killed. So the police are doing their job. They're not provoking it. The people are going to the theater. They're not provoking it. So there's obviously ways in which we walk right into a situation where we're not provoking it. Same thing with 9-11. No one in those towers provoked it. And perhaps politically, our country provokes some of this. Perhaps because we're so completely, overwhelmingly usury uh, about so many things, perhaps we provoke the envy and the hatred of so many countries. But as individuals, we're not sitting around trying to provoke it. Or if you are, please stop, because it's not helping anything. Well, these are my opinions. What are yours? We're going to move on to a much different subject. I could say weightier, but it's really not about losing weight, which actually, in the scheme of things, is not nearly as serious as the Aurora massacres. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to think about all 12 people who have died and those that are remaining in critical care. We just hope that they are brought through the situation as whole as is possible. And please, in this next moment, would you join me in making sure that we reach out to them care about them, and pray for the best for everybody.
Thanks for the beautiful music from Mava, wonderful composer. You want to know more about Mava? Just give me a call and let you get in touch with him. We're moving on to weight loss. Huh. I love the idea of weight loss. Not, not from the standpoint that we're all sitting there struggling with being overweight, or some of us are, but rather because weight loss is truly all about being able to grasp being in control of your life. Not so that you can look like the skinny mini, but so you can actually be healthy. And so warning number one about weight loss, weight loss warning is what this program segment is called, is make sure that you always focus on your health first. Being healthy, eating healthy, and exercising healthy, sleeping healthy are key to being able to manage your weight in a healthy fashion. And one of the major warnings about weight loss is that you make sure that you do not do less in the nutrients that you need for your mind, your brain, your body, your skin, your organs, your muscles, your bones, etc., your blood to be really functioning at an optimal amount. In other words, you're going to have that body of yours processing nutrients so that it feels alive and well cultivated. If you look at yourself as a plot of grass and you don't provide nutrients and you don't provide water and it doesn't have enough sun and it doesn't have enough shade, and they have too much heat or too much of that, then you're going to kill your plot of grass. And you want to think of every single cell in your wonderful body as that plot of grass. And you want to take really, really good care of it. So weight loss warning number one is make sure you take really good care of the nutrients in your body. So those individuals that tend to have difficulty with weight loss and gaining the weight back tend to go on programs that have only one side of the nutritional world in mind, and that's the caloric intake. In other words, the energy that you want to be able to burn off. But the caloric intake can be really important for so many aspects of your body so that you want to make sure that you, if you're lowering your caloric intake, that you do not lower the amount of green vegetables, orange and yellow, delicious vegetables that you take in, that you do not lower the amount of proteins in whatever fashion or form you move that into your body because so many parts of your body need those amino acids immediately and across the board. Those amino acids are essential to your functioning. In fact, you are made up of proteins. If you don't fuel the proteins, what are you doing? You're killing yourself. You want to make sure you're doing the proper amount of hydration and not to the point where you're actually washing all the nutrients out of your body and actually losing your electrolyte balance because you're drinking too much water, but in such a way as to be able to flourish. You don't want to drown the plot of grass and make it muddy so that everything dry rots. No, that won't work. But instead you want to be able to water just enough so that you feel supple, your skin feels refreshed, you look younger, your your the the wrinkles inside and outside your body do not develop because you have a proper hydration. So in light of all of those aspects of what's going on to your body and weight loss, another weight loss warning is that if you are exercising, exercise in a way that doesn't damage your body and make sure that you exercise in a way that makes everything in your body want to sing and be happier. I love to sweat. I love to pound. I love to stretch. I love to put the weights on. I love to really push the limits. And there are just times when if you do not have the time to properly nutrition, that pushing those limits will actually make you hungrier and crave the very things that are going to throw your weight loss off. So weight loss warning number two, make sure that your exercise is balanced so that you also will not shift yourself into either crashing your body 
or move yourself into having such cravings that you quickly feel like you need to dart for those very things that are going to make cravings accelerate. It all comes together. Weight loss, warning number three. You want to be able to recognize that weight loss is progressive. It's not about losing all the weight. If you have more than five pounds to lose, it's not about losing all the weight in the next two weeks. It's about losing the weight in a way that really is increasing health, not getting off the pounds, but getting off the fat, not weakening your muscles and your bones and the functions of your organs, but instead being able to burn the surplus energies that are stored in your fat. And be aware that your fat also stores some other things vitally important to you, one of which is estrogen. And menopausal women, you're going to need as much estrogen as you possibly can have, and your body knows it, and that's why you put on more fat when you're going through menopause. At least that's my understanding of it. So be aware that weight loss needs to be progressive in your mind. And that what you do this week to benefit your body so that you can move toward weight loss is not what you're going to do the next week or the following week or the following week. You're going to go through the changes and the progressions of being able to decrease those yuck foods and increase the wonderful foods, to increase the exercises and decrease the lack of mobility. You're going to be able to move into different types of exercising as you progress. But even then, it's not linear. What you do this day, aggressively and progressively, may not be what's best for you tomorrow. It depends on what your recovery rate is, what sort of other programs you're dealing with, and the fourth warning is how much sleep you're getting. So if you are getting sleep, lots of sleep, then perhaps the health in your body will be able to support the weight loss. But here's weight loss warning number four. If you're not getting sleep, you're not going to be able to support what your body needs in order to be able to provide the right type of energy, metabolism, and breakdown of what your brain and heart functions with. And as a consequence of that, the lack of sleep is going to make your body slow down so it stores the energy, and of course that's going to compromise your weight loss. So that's weight loss warning number four. If you would please make sure you get sleep. It's as much a part of the exercise, watching of the foods, and drinking as any other aspect of dieting. You, you can find out so much more information about this, of course, online. And yes, I have my book, too, like so many authors do. But here, consider this. It's called, If You Can't Stop Eating, Maybe You're Hungry, Reset Your Cravings. Because I believe firmly and strongly that if you have a tremendous amount of respect for the signals of your body and you change yourself in such a way so you can trust your signals, then you can go with the flow of your body. Yes, if you've messed with the signals in your body by eating too many sugars or refined products or processed foods, or the, the whites, whites of life that may be overwhelming your body that lead to gluten or uh, yeast infections, et cetera, et cetera, then you probably can't trust your cravings and you need to reset them. But once you reset them, you can listen to your body and walk a path that's in true partnership between you and the body that's going to carry you through the rest of your life. So take good care of your plot of grass. It's all you get. It's there for you and it's absolutely dependent on you. And we will go on to the third segment of the show. Thank you for joining me. Let's do another meditative moment. This time, I'm going to walk you through a meditation and allow you to be able to come to terms with losing weight in a way that has no warnings attached to it. There we go. Get yourself relaxed, comfortable, 
Eyes closed. And breathe really, really deeply. Breathe deep. Breathing is much a part of losing weight as anything else. And in fact, in the world of the yogic, there are so many different breathing exercises that they say actually turn on your metabolism and your ability to use calories that you consume. Like you have a very deep breath all the way down to your diaphragm. You get yourself more and more relaxed. And ease your shoulders and your back way into the chair where you're at. Please don't drive as you're listening to this. You might want to just pause and talk to yourself for seeing if you're listening to this while driving. But instead, if you're lying there, just relax even deeper, fuller, and more completely. Why not take this wonderful six-minute vacation, allowing your mind and your body to relax? There you go. Beautiful. Now I can experience that your muscles and your legs have also relaxed along with all your shoulders and your chest. And breathe deeply again. Be really conscious. Deep breath down. And hold it once you've got a lot of air inside you. Just hold it. And then blow it out slowly, 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 but fully and completely. And then hold the emptiness of your belly. Hold it just for a bit. Now breathe in deep. And breathe out deep. And this process that helps you all to be able to not only flow with your body a little bit more, but allows you to be conscious of your body. You're oxygenating your entire body. And that oxygen is so important as it flows into your body, allowing your blood to be able to move into places that you can't even think of. Take out the toxins and move the toxins out of your body through your kidneys, intestinal tract, your lungs. Beautiful. Keep breathing. Keep breathing while I'm talking. Now, in the very next moment, I want you to imagine that the 57 trillion plus cells in your body are all dependent on you, and they're all listening at this very moment. They're listening attentively. Every single one of them has your DNA carved onto it as if it has your name attached. And while your cells don't last for all that long, they're there. They're there in your body to support the process of you living you giving and you being kind and you being compassionate and you being creative and you being successful. But those cells are there for. And they really want to support you in the process. So guess what? Those are completely dependent on you. So imagine yourself right now all throughout this day and any time you listen to this, being able to take in the right amount of water, the right amount of beautiful green vegetables, orange, yellow vegetables, proteins, the proteins that match your type of body beautifully. Don't forget to take your nutrients, the calcium, magnesium, the vitamin D, the vitamin Bs, all that complex, the right amount of iron just for your body. Just imagine it right now. Imagine supplying your body with all those wonderful external elements that your body needs because it can't produce them necessarily the way it needs it and number two, because once it gets it, it can go and function in the most cheerful and celebrating sort of way. And imagine 57 trillion cells in your body celebrating what you're giving it. Remember to, to sleep, hydrate, and exercise. So take this moment to imagine yourself after this, this moment, the rest of the day, to move as much as you possibly can. Imagine yourself dancing. Imagine yourself walking up and down the stairs, going down the hall, doing some sort of standing still process or push-ups or sit-ups right then and there. Take the moments, the, the minutes, the 60 seconds you have to create movement so your body can flow and be fluid and be stimulated. Or maybe just know you're going to go to the gym or do that 40-minute videotape or do that accelerated high-intensity training that you've decided to tackle or that calm, wonderful, 
but powerful yogic for Pilates moves. Dance, dance, and laugh, and have lots of fun doing it. And then sit down and yourself, exercise, and then go do it. So we've got the sleeping, the resting, the eating, the movement, and that hydration. Now imagine this loving relationship with yourself, really peaceful, loving relationship with you. Okay, I know you may have the excess weight on, the fat, feeling engorged, feeling miserable and uncomfortable, feeling like you can't move or shift the way you'd like to be able to. You don't look as beautiful or accepted as you want to be. And so you could be spending all the rest of this minute, these minutes, the rest of this day, hating yourself and the way your body looks, avoiding facing yourself. The truth is, is that the more you hate yourself, the more you will groom yourself to be hated. Isn't that weird? And we think that, oh, if I just hate myself enough, I'll get my act together. Yeah, maybe for some people it works that way, but for most of us, the way it works is that you have that wonderful ability to be able to groom yourself and to decide and to love yourself into that. The shift. Shifting is a day-by-day process. Like I said, one of the, extra, the weight loss warnings, don't anticipate that this happens all at once. You're not giving up the foods all at once. You're not exercising high intensity all at once. It's a progression. You've, you've taken time to get this way, and allow yourself the progression, the getting out of it, a day-by-day commitment to the next moment of excellence, the next improvement, the next thing to be proud of, the next change. So that next change, whatever you do, little or big today, will absolutely impact tomorrow. It'll impact the next moment. And then trust that your body does want to so respond to you in a way that supports you, and now you can support it as well. All right. Come out of this moment. Stretch. Come back into the room. Open your eyes. Take some deep breaths in that are very invigorating. We're going to go on to our third subject matter for the day. Know that your body needs you. You need your body. And just create that relationship that says, okay, I'm going to do this the right way, the healthy way, whatever that is. Whatever your next step is, which may be very different than the person sitting next to you, your next step, take it. Go ahead and take it. Be active. Do it. Make life happen now. We're going to transition now into the next phase, taking a little bit of a moment as we become a little bit oriented more toward living life actively. Well, I am excited about this next phrase as well because this is going to be about soldiers reuniting with their family. This is an extremely important topic from my point of view because we desperately, desperately need to be able to be in support of those individuals who went over to fight on our behalf. And they may have done it for all sorts of different reasons, but guess what? They did it in a way under the idea that they were there to make our country safer. And whether you agree with the philosophy of war or not, and I have my definite own responses to that, it doesn't matter. They went over there in an attempt, a desperate attempt, to make life better for those of us that are here. So, so 
soldiers that come back that are coming back are having a difficult time. There's all sorts of different poverty, a difficulty getting a good job, dealing with the anger and rage that's provoked by what they went through, and they also have to deal with the anger and rage of the people around them. I had a friend, Jade Scott, who recently Facebooked me a a statement, an experience that happened with a soldier where he was on, well, let me just read it to you. Jim Stanek is a disabled military veteran. He says an airline employee kicked his service dog so hard that she flew into his lap, and another called him retarded. Jim is asking for your help to share his story and help make a positive change for the service dogs and their disabled humans. So I have clicked this and shared this, and I ask that you seriously consider the soldiers that are in your life passing you in a grocery store, passing you in all sorts of different ways. Can you say thanks? Yes. And as the soldiers that I have said thanks to, gone up to randomly, said thanks to have looked at me and said, I really appreciate that. I just say thanks. Thank you. I don't know what they've done. All I know is that they're there in your uniform or their fatigues, and they've done something that they tried to do something that was supposed to be in my, my benefit, our benefit. And again, whether I agree or not with the whole concept of war and battling, they have done something that they thought was in our benefit. The soldiers that are suffering are not getting the right type of jobs. They don't know what to do with their lives in terms of purpose. They don't know how to deal with the nightmares of what they have had to do when they've been over there. And many times the soldiers don't even really want to share it because it is so egregious. Or perhaps it's kept into some sort of secret or military sort of uh, closed book situation. So as a consequence, they're really not able to release that information. In addition, a lot of them feel like they shouldn't or they can't because the horror of having to relive it by telling it is something they simply cannot bring themselves to do. They'd like to be able to move back into their family situation, but how do they do that? I had a wonderful set of opportunities to interview uh, an individual, Jake Rockemacher. Now, Jake went over to Iraq and Afghanistan to visit with his brothers who are both serving, and he was unable to serve for a number of different physical concerns. And so as a consequence, he wanted to do documentaries, Brothers at War, so I know there's two book, there are two movies. One's called Brothers at War, and I think the one's called Brothers at War, and I don't know what the difference is. But what is so wonderful is that he has allowed us on YouTube to see this documentary that really does talk, speak to what his brothers went through over there. They are traumatized by the experience of the soldiers are, but they're also led to believe that it is a, a wonderfully helpful thing to do for those to whom they love back home. They are completely... Uh, confused when they come back at home and seeing people being rude to them or rude to each other or dealing with very small, trivial circumstances. And Jake Rademacher was wonderful in being able to describe so clearly, simply, what he went through when he came back. It's called Reverse Cultural Shock, and it's in my book called Reuniting Soldiers with Family. Reverse Cultural Shock means you come back to your own culture and you feel like you don't fit on. You feel like you don't even know what's going on in the culture. And in some cases, the culture has changed so much when they return that they don't recognize it. But the reverse cultural shock is an experience of something you've already gone through that you're already familiar with, and yet it feels completely unlike you, like it's become depersonalized from who you are. And Jake explained that he was he was back for about a week, and he went to a, a wonderful fast food restaurant where they were putting, uh, you know, 
sour cream, avocado, guacamole on some of the dishes. And it was in a very affluent community in Southern California. Go ahead and use your imagination. You'll probably be right. And the girl in front of him was sitting there in a very catty, narcissistic way, complaining that she hadn't gotten the right amount of cream cream cheese or avocado on her particular order and was just going on about it, creating a tremendous amount of drama, how right she was to do it. And he could not believe in the amount of energy and drama that went into that when he had just come back from soldiers being shot at, killed, uh, countrymen being shot at, killed by other soldiers from other countrymen. The stories that go on are really intense. And the soldiers in your life have those stories. They all have their stories, all variations. They either know of someone who was shot or know of someone who knows of someone who died or they were right there next to someone who was shot, or they had to shoot themselves. Don't remain naive about the people who are soldiers in your life. And thank them. And say, if you ever need to talk, I'm here to listen. And then listen without judgment. Don't critique. Don't tell them they should have done it differently. Don't explain to them how they shouldn't feel bad about it. Just listen. Empathize. Care. Don't move into your own sense of powerlessness about what you should do. Care and listen. And if you're an employer and you have an opportunity to offer them some work, try. Try to do it. But try to make sure that if they do seem a little weak, to ensure that they're in counseling, ensure they're getting the services that they can get through the Veterans Administration, try to fight for them to be able to get that type of assistance. And here's another thing that goes on. Our government is having a very difficult time supporting these soldiers. One, it doesn't want to face all the post-traumatic stress disorder that goes on. They don't want to face how difficult it is for them when they're physically or emotionally or psychologically damaged by what they had to do for us. They don't want to face it because it's very expensive, number one. Very two, the resources are limited. Three, there's a lot of discouragement to really be able to authenticate the post-traumatic experience they've gone through. Get back on the horse. The machismo attitude is very real, whether you're male or female. You have to remember that it wasn't just too long ago, in fact, it was last week, that there were some trainers that were actually indicted for having been sexually abusive to some females. So as a consequence, you want to realize that those those female soldiers were traumatized within the ranks of following up, being there to be soldiers, and it was their fellow soldiers or commanders or training officers that actually did them wrong. So that these soldiers not only felt the face, the post-traumatic experience of that part of their life, fighting in those countries, having to train to kill, but they also have to face the antagonism of their own fellows, their own compatriots. The experience of being a soldier is not easy. Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes soldiers go there and they have such a rush. They're the extremes. They love the extremes. They have such a rush. They feel so purposeful. They feel matched. And when they come back into this rather domicile life, They don't know what to do with themselves. They are at a loss. They can't carry on the ordinary chattiness. They don't even find the meaningfulness or purpose in it. And therefore, that's one reason why a lot of soldiers go into the security systems, the police department, so forth and so on. They need to have a rush. They need to feel purposeful in that manner. What can you do for the soldiers? Be kind. Say thanks. Two, listen. Listen, listen. Three, don't be judgmental. You really have no clue what they've gone through. 
for trying not to be antagonistic because you don't know when they're going to snap. You don't know what sort of nightmares they experience or what sort of rage is right underneath the collar or the, the look of their calm because they have had to deal with so much. Their emotional triggers are intense and we cannot know what's going to be pushing them across the limit. Be as resourceful as you possibly can in assisting them and assisting their families. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about their families and the post-traumatic stress the families go through. So if you have a possibility to help a soldier help, be as good as you can be. And don't take out the fact that maybe you're anti-war, anti-battle, maybe even anti-military. Don't take it out on the individual. The individual has made their choice and their path. You may not agree, but they've done something and it's had an impact, and you might as well exercise compassion and respect. It's more helpful in the long run anyway. What about the families? Well, do the wives, the girlfriends, or the husbands or the children that are listening to this program, I completely understand that you've gone through your own trauma. You've gone through a trauma that isn't classified. It isn't classified in the, the diagnostic manuals that psychologists and psychiatrists use. It isn't classified in the news media. But it is classified in my book, which is then called Reuniting Soldiers with Families. Reuniting Soldiers with Families, Dr. Carol Francis. Look it up and get it really inexpensively through ebook. And as a consequence of that book, you know, fail as your ebook, I would, if you want to contact me in person at 37, sorry, 310-543-1824, 310-543-1824, or drcarolfrancis at gmail.com, drcarolfrancis at gmail.com. If you want to contact me either way, and you're a soldier, a part of soldier's family, I'll see if I can get that e-back to you as cheaply as I can. And full respect to your publishers, but I'd love to give it to you free. Why? Because you, families, and soldiers need to really know what you're facing. You've gone through a certain type of post-traumatic stress yourself. For example, you have lived daily not knowing what your soldier is safe. Really nice to hear those Skypes or those letters or those texts or to hear any information you possibly can saying, oh, I'm just fine, I'm doing great. But... On those days you don't hear about them, you worry and fret all day long. You don't know whether to be upset because they're not getting in contact with you or and call me beyond your anxiety or to be upset because you don't know if something's happened to them. That you've, they've told you they have to go out on some sort of duty calls. Guess what? You don't know what that duty involves. So you have to live with your own horrific imaginings. And your horrific imaginings can include that they are shot, kidnapped, killed, tortured. You don't know. And your worst imaginings are what huddle you. They're the things that traumatize you. And as much as possible, try to stay away from your traumatizing imaginings. They're not really all that helpful. And most of the time, they're not even pertinent to the reality. But I understand that that's a normal human response. But be as conscious as you can at trying to quell them from being able to take you over. Know that when you watch those television shows, news reports, or movies that are associated with those sorts of things, you're actually, you're actually triggering that part of you that has a lot more room for having those imaginings about your soldiers. And as a consequence, you're going to traumatize yourself with your own imaginings. It's normal. It does happen. Try to minimize it. Stay into as much peaceful information and zones as you possibly can. Not so that you live in denial, but so that you don't keep reprogramming your brain to be in tra- trauma. I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens in the brain with trauma. Your soldier and you, his family, can go through that. When you are experiencing any sort of trauma whatsoever, your brain records it, grooves it into your brain because it wants to help you be able to fight that situation in the future. So then your brain will also want to rehearse what you're going to do if that traumatic situation occurs. That rehearsal that you go through in your imagining actually gets grooved into the brain as well. And your brain doesn't always know the difference between when you're rehearsing it and your imagination 
and when it actually is taking place. So that groove goes into your brain, potentially deeper and deeper, and you begin to emit the type of hormones that actually are anxiety-oriented. Cortisol, for example, would be one. The, the adrenaline uh, hormones as well that are associated to anxiety and stress would be the others. So you've got these stress hormones that are flooding into you that are being created by your imagination and or by the reality of the circumstances. So you want to be able to keep those as minimal as possible. Why? Because you don't want your brain to be carved out with those hormones because it's the other hormones that allow you to be happy, deal with real complex situations, and be able to be strong, capable, and on top of your game. Now, I will tell you that exercise, eating well, and sleeping help you be on top of your game like nothing else. Like nothing else. Again, exercise, eating well, and sleeping help you be on top of your game. And it will help you also reverse the impact of the stress hormones, too. In fact, really vigorous exercise when you're in the midst of something that's really traumatic can be extremely helpful because it can get some of those wonderful hormones excreted out of your skin and your perspiration and your urine, your kidneys, and through defecation. Okay, so there you go. I want to know that you can your body out and you need to be aware of that. Now the other part of trauma and trauma relief is that you are living with the anticipation of what if, what if, what if. And you always wonder if that next phone call or the visit from the military is going to come chase you, haunt you in fact. So in the process of living with that, you have to know that you are at risk because that is the reality of your circumstances. And to be able to have a game plan, to be able to know your supports are in place, whom you can talk to, be able to know what your finances are, how you're going to survive, being able to know what your resources are as a human being, your strengths emotionally, how you're going to deal with your children, or if you are um, a spouse, what are you going to do with the loss? If you're a mother, what are you going to do with the loss of your child? If you're a father, what are you going to do with the loss as well? So yes, spend some time planning, building the support system so it's in place so you can reach out when you need to, you need to be able to know what your financial resources are and make sure you have stress-related foods and vitamins to help you so your body can be fortified in case of those circumstances. But planning is very different than allowing the imagination to go wild. So check your imagination, but make sure you're planning. Now, and additionally, don't go into isolation. Make sure you're in connection with people who know what you're going through. Get it, and they feel it. But at the same time, make sure that when you are connected to those people who also get it, that you don't take on their anxiety. There's some of us who, when we are expressing ourselves, we're relaxed, easier for us, and that's a great way to get rid of those, those stressors inside of you. There's other of us that when we express ourselves, we actually aggravate our anxiety and our stress. And so you need to know what type of stressor you are. Do you aggravate it by expressing yourself? Or do you aggravate it by not expressing yourself? Secondly, if you're around people who are going through a lot of trauma, does that help you ease yours? It might. For some people, it does. And for other people, it's just the opposite, where they actually, when they're around people who are going through a lot of stress and they're expressing it, they take it on, and it actually makes them more aggravated as a consequence. You need to know what type of individual you are in terms of gaining your support and your support system. Okay, well, there's so much more that can be said about each and every one of these aspects of things. Soldiers reuniting with families, I think the last thing I need to talk about is abuse. And that gets back to our first topic. Soldiers, you're going to have an inclination toward aggression, and you're going to have a much different tolerance of aggression. Uh, you're going to have been around male energy where there's swearing and name-calling and trolling, and that's almost the way there's brotherly love sometimes in war situations. 
a way of expressing all that black humor. And just know that you get really accustomed to doing that. But that sort of stuff put in a different circumstance, like with your wife and your children, will turn into being abusive because they will feel the anger, the rage, or they will feel as if they authentically take your words to heart and you will be hurting them. And you won't even understand why they're acting that way, perhaps, because you're so used to that level of expression of anger. In fact, for you, it may even be funny. It may be connection for you. But you need to be aware that for a lot of people, that's not the way they connect. And so you need to take that, look at it, and say, you know what, those people are feeling abused by what I'm doing, even though I don't intend that to occur. So you need to stop doing it in those circumstances, definitely, for sure. In addition, you also have to know the nightmares inside of you, they're going to want to come out, they're going to want to pop. It's really good to pop them into a really good circumstance. Heavy-duty, high-intensity exercise, boxing, that helps a lot of soldiers. Putting it into something where you can actually be really helpful in a community situation is awesome because it simultaneously pairs that you know you're meaningful, you know you're helpful, you know you're a good person, and it's aggressive. So if you're going into contract, you're going to go out there and help some people that are poor that have lost their house or been damaged in some sort of environmental natural disaster, and you're really going to pound those nails and move those those pieces of wood, those planks, and do it and do it with aggression because you're helping but you're also getting your aggressions out. Also, being able to know that you can move into being protective of other people and have that attitude about what you have inside of you can move you into your own sense of being a good person and being able to take those energies and skills that you've acquired into some place that will be protective. And perhaps the, the military to the, the, arm, the armed forces is still what you want to do. You have to deal with that with your family. Or maybe it is in some sort of security situation, such as the police department, firemen. Family members, just know that if your uh, loved one is being abusive to you or is far away or distant, that you do need to protect yourself. Get some help. Get some counseling. Go someplace where someone can actually help you work this stuff through. Don't isolate and don't feel like you're a hero if you endure it until your soldier comes out of it. It's best to take care of these things immediately before they begin to grow and grow faster and cause all sorts of difficulties. I started off the show saying the part about weight loss, just consider yourself a piece of grass, a lawn, and that plot of grass, if you neglect it, it dies. So don't neglect your relationship with your soldier. Quickly, quickly get help. Don't stop. Don't hesitate for a second. Now, you can call me and reach me at 310-543-1824. You can get a hold of me at drcarolfrancis at gmail.com, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-F-R-A-N-C-I-S at gmail.com. And maybe we can get you a link to some really good help. You always can get to the Veterans Association, but, you know, you have to be careful. I don't know what's going to happen there with all the things that are offered to veterans. There's also having to go through a very tough political arena in that situation as well. So make sure you reach out, but make sure you do it sadly. Be aware of what's in your support and make sure you are aware of what you need. So we're going to close this time just knowing that... We can live in the harshness and the hard times of our society. We can still ponder 9-11. We can still be really devastated by the Aurora massacres. After all, it was just a few days ago. We can be devastated by our own body betraying us, making us feel ugly and gross. We can be really devastated by what happens to a loved one, a soldier that comes back. Our family is being decimated by what went on for that soldier. Bottom line. We need to laugh 
and we need to help, and we need to exercise compassion and respect as much as we possibly can. Taking great care of our body, great care of each other, and turning the energy of woe into being helpful, that is golden. Well, this is Dr. Carol Francis signing off for now. I wish you all the very best. And these tools are only the beginning of more tools that are available for you. So don't hesitate to contact me, and I look forward to talking to you on the next radio show. And guess what? We have Akiana, an absolutely wonderful, wonderful artist. And her artwork, oh, will inspire you. Will make you go into a state of awe, a state of transcendence. And I urge you to check it out. Akiana, A-K-I-A-N-E dot com. Check her out. She'll provide some more peace for you. Have a good day.